You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. I hope you guys uh, are encouraged by the fact that we are more than a West Side church. We are a worldwide church. Uh, we have churches all over the world, and what a privilege the Holy Spirit has led us through a lot of circumstances to connect with the Baltic region here. It's so great to have Kim and Chris here. Uh, they've done incredible work for years throughout our churches. And uh, uh, so what's going to happen is next year, a portion of what we already give, we're going to give the same amount we gave, but we're shifting some of its need, uh, what's the needs it's going to meet to the Baltic. And uh, another region in L.A. shifting some to the Mexico uh, region, the Lifeway Group, which, uh, of course, Rafael and Griselda are a big part of our, our Latin American work. So it's a great con- uh, connection for us. It means that our, we're asking a little bit of you to expand your, your concern. And I think we're capable of expanding our concern, our prayer, and I want us to be worldwide Christians. I want us to be disciples who are evangelizing the world, not only the West Side, though we do believe we can change the world from the West Side. Amen. Today, um, I'm looking forward to speaking to you. Um, let's go to God in prayer. We're gonna, this is going to constitute our sermon and our communion lesson. We'll take communion at the end of the lesson. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Uh, Father, thank you for all the miracles you're doing here in Los Angeles and around the world. Uh, Father, thank you that we get the privilege of being healthy, of sound mind and body, that we can come and worship together, uh, that we can reflect on your work, your presence, your gift uh, to this lost world. Father, I pray this morning our minds will be open, our hearts open, that we would believe uh, what you want us to believe. We ask, God, that uh, you move in our hearts, uh, you move in our minds, and you enable our bodies to live lives that honor you. And God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the other day, I was um, out at um, the store with my wife, and I saw this sign, it was at Home Goods, and it was a sign that said, Believe. And this time of year, it just struck me, I thought, that's what we need, we've got to put that in the house. Carrie's like, I like the message, don't like the style of that particular sign. So I was like, okay, she's the consummate interior designer, she's got good taste. I was like, okay, but I really like that message. I just, I I believe, there's a lot of meaning in there. So a few days later, she brings home this uh, stylistic sign that says, in our house, we believe. And it's a Christmas looking sign, so we, you know, kind of took down our regular sign and put that one up right there in our, our little dining area. And I love that message that, that we believe. You know, we live and we are immersed in a culture that undermines our belief in the good and pure and righteous. We're immersed in a culture that says good is evil and evil is good. We're immersed in a culture particularly here in America, I dare say in the Nordic area as well, and a lot of Western Europe, it's similar, where our economic condition in often cases is very good, and the media continues to entertain us, and it can lull us to sleep spiritually. We live in a culture where belief in God is declining. 
That's just evidence. That's what's going on in America. That's what's going on in Western Europe. Belief in God is waning. Now, I will add a little bit of knowledge to your, your bank right there. It's not waning all over the earth. Apparently, in the southern hemisphere of the world, it's actually growing. People often say Christianity is declining. It's not, because we're finding in Africa and in the southern hemisphere of the world, it, it's growth. But you live in America right now. We're in the most worldly environment, and many of us can very easily be lulled to sleep. Belief in God is declining. We don't want it to decline. We don't want our area to be a mission field for the southern part of the world. And actually it is, just so you know. The western uh, parts of the world are becoming mission fields for the southern parts of the wor- world because our faith and our understanding of what real faith looks like is declining. we got to believe. We need to believe. Back in the 1960s, a major problem existed. Racial inequality. It still exists. But progress has been made. In 1963, Martin Luther King had his I Have a Dream speech in Washington on the March on Washington. He says, I say to you today, my friends, that in spite of the difficulties and frustrations of the moment, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream, he went on to say, that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream, he said, that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a desert state sweltering with the heat of injustice and oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream, he said, that my four children will one day live in a nation that they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today, he said in 1963. You know, we're not 100% there with racial inequality. But we've made some progress. There's been progress in America because of that dream. He died for that dream. And we're fighting the battle of that dream. And it's not solved, but I love looking around our auditorium. I love looking at our little white children and black children, every shade of brown children, out in the lobby before church, playing together without a concern whatsoever for racial inequality. Amen? I love seeing that. There is injustice in our world. There is despair in the midst of prosperity. There is a darkness crouching at our door. And we must master it. You know, we live in a culture of unbelief. Sadly, and I want to say this to even our congregation, we have to test ourselves. Do we really believe the Word of God? 
In Isaiah, I love the verse, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we know that's true. Jesus broke into reality and said, listen, equality and justice will be the hallmarks of my kingdom. And then we find, of course, the Christmas foreshadowing passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where he says, and I have it kind of sort of artistically placed up there for you. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Boy, we need counseling at times, don't we? Especially here in in America on the west side. He will be called Mighty God. Everlasting Father. We all want a father. He will be called Prince of Peace. And peace is what's needed. Millennials were interviewed. What's the biggest problems going on in the world? Biggest one is they're concerned about the environment. Praise God, He created this world. We should take care of it. They're also concerned, the second thing is about war and conflict and a lack of peace. And it, only, it not only exists uh, across the globe, uh, certainly our, our brothers and sisters in Beirut are under great trial right now. Uh, they barely can buy food at the supermarket. The banks are closing. Kids aren't going to school. This is, I mean, let me tell you, we have, they have a church just like ours, people just like us. They come here often, and, and it's not all peace and prosperity. It's difficult there. But they're faithful to Jesus in that congregation. And they realize this is an opportunity for God to shine bright. Amen? Amen. Today I want to talk a little bit about the story of Jesus being born and what it can teach us about believing. And I want to read in Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin there in Luke. You can turn in your Bibles there uh, or you can follow along. I have most of the verses today on the screen if you have good enough eyes to see it. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God... He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Skip to verse 11. He says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. So obviously he was praying that he would have a son. He was praying that his priestly lineage would continue on. He was praying for the hope of that. And many of us pray for that and enjoy that. And some of us have had children, some of us haven't. And in that day and age, it was definitely a prayer that was commonly found. Certainly among this priest and his, his wife who had been getting along in years. The angel said... He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. 
And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man. and My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Zechariah did not believe the vision at first. He desperately wanted a son. He clearly asked God for that. He'd been serving in the temple. He was a righteous man, the Bible says. He was devoted, man. He was at church every Sunday on time. Which would put a lot of us to shame. He was at midweek. He was at all the devotionals. He had his times getting some mentoring in his life. And yet he didn't believe when the prayer that he had sent up to God probably every day, when it actually happened, he didn't believe. Why is it hard to believe God's vision for us? Why is it hard to believe? We need to believe the vision that God gives to us. And it's hard to believe it, isn't it? Even for a righteous, God-fearing individual. I think we get accustomed to the way things are. We need proof. God wants to give us some great vision. Or He even gives us what the very thing we ask for and we don't see it. And I was thinking, why is this? I think we get stuck in belief and we get unbelief and we get skeptical because we lose our childlike heart. My son Nathan, my nine-year-old, he wants to be an NBA player. And the other day, he's like, Dad, when I'm in the NBA, this is how I'm going to dunk. And he'll run and he'll show me his dunk move, you know. He jumps a good six inches off the ground. That's his vertical leap right now. And uh, he's like, when I'm there, I'm like, in my, my, my nature as a father who wants to be practical, I wanted to let him know just how unrealistic of a dream that was. And I was really tempted to tell him. But then I remembered I had a, another son, an older son. He's 22. And when he was 12, he came to me and said, Dad, I finally know what I want to do. I want to play in the NBA. And I was like, shaking my head, son. That's just not going to happen. Let me tell you why. Let's rank. And I went through all the reasons in my practical dad side to just not get him hoping for something that just was unrealistic. But you could start on the high school team. You could have a great experience. You know what ended up happening is my son at 12, he was sort of overweight, not that tall. He ended up growing to six foot five, could dunk as a freshman, was incredible at three points, made the varsity team, and probably could have made the NBA. But I had squashed his dream at age 12. And by the time he got to his senior year, he's like, ah, no, I'm just a disciple, I'll make this, I'm, I'm happy with this, I don't need to be, you know, I don't want to go, it's too much work to be in the NBA. But the reality is at 12, he already was thinking it's not realistic. So when my little nine-year-old says, I want to be in the NBA, I was like, well, I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) 
You never know. You never know. I'm confessing. You can psychoanalyze me later. Anything is possible for him who believes. You know, God disciplined Zechariah to train him to believe, right? He, how difficult. He couldn't talk anymore. Here's the priest. He's a preacher. And he couldn't talk for nine months. If you read the rest of the story, he doesn't talk for nine months. And then when the baby is born, you know, everybody says, well, what do you name it? The mom says, we'll name him John. And they're like, what? No one in your family's name John. And then he writes on a little pad, his name is John. Which means he repented and believed by then, right? He repented and believed. And then he began to speak again. And you can read that later. He wanted a child. He wanted somebody that he could influence, that could be great and could serve God. And I think a lot about us and our children today. Over the holidays, I know we spend more time with our family. What do we want our children to become today? I think it's awesome if they want to become NBA stars or musicians. But I know that's not their greatest effect on this earth. The greatest thing is, will they be servants of God? You know, you can do both. But the servants of God part is more impressive. What are you willing to do for your children so that they will fulfill the destiny and the vision that God has for them? What are you willing to do here today, church? What are we willing to do to help them be spiritual? What are we willing to do to help turn their hearts and turn our hearts? The passage says that John would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Commitment to the children. You'll never regret spending more time with your kids. Will we lay down our lives? Will we change our schedule? Will we get some help in our parenting? Will we pray for ourselves to be who we need to be? As much as we keep praying, oh, I wish they would surrender and do this or do that. Or become this or see that. Do we pray for ourselves to be what we need to be, parents? Have you prayed some prayers years ago that you've stopped praying? I know we love our families. We love our relatives. We love those people. And God designs it that we would love our physical uh, family deeply. And yes, man, I want nothing more than all my physical family to know Jesus, love Him, and serve Him till the day they die. I don't only want them to get baptized. I want them to die faithful to Jesus. That's more important. That's more important. And it's a long road. Amen? It's a long road we're on. Do we believe the vision? Do you believe? And I know in here there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of pain. It doesn't always go the way we want. We can't control people. We want to, especially our children, right? It's that, that transition from, you know, 9, 10, where Nathan pretty much does whatever I tell him, to 14, 15, 16, where they don't do anything you tell them. It's a challenging transition. But God, do you believe that God loves your children more than you? He does. He continues to love them more than you. I want you to believe the vision today that God has for you and for your family. Zechariah didn't believe it at first, but then he did. And you know, the angel Gabriel, he had more work to do. So he goes, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. 
And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Let's go on. Sorry, I read that. Okay. Yes. Verse one or verse 26 of chapter one. We're going to go to the next place Gabriel goes to. It says in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, a small town. Okay. Nazareth. I mean, anyone ever been to Nazareth? Okay. Oh, you have. Okay. So there's a few biblical studies people have been there. It's kind of a, an unassuming town, isn't it? I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures. It's pretty much nothing. Right? And it wasn't much back then either. God does great things in small cities. All right? He does great things in unassuming places. So he goes to this town to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The word favored, you know, here's what that word means in in the Bible. It just means God really likes you. The word grace, God gives you grace, it means he just really likes you. We all have people we like hanging out with. We all have people we'd love to see over the holidays. You know, you're thinking, who do I want to have some hang time with over the holidays? The Bible says to Mary that she's highly favored. He wanted to hang out with her. And we're going to find out, of course, he does. And he does some miracles right there. But, you know, in the book of Matthew... If you read uh, the, the account of the birth of Jesus, it says that, you know, she's going to give birth. They're going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Chapter one of Matthew. And then and we're going to, by the way, we're going to have Justin Shump come. He's going to preach on that a little bit for us. Uh, we're considering Justin uh, for our campus ministry position here. He's graduating. Amen. So he's going to preach a little bit more about this on the 22nd. We're going to evaluate him uh, and his possible future with our campus. But in that text it says, he will be called Emmanuel. But you know, in in Matthew 28, we all know the verse that says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, and surely I am with you, disciples who make disciples, who live this life of changing the world. I am with you always. Chapter 1 and chapter 28, he says, I am with you. We are favored by God. We are liked by God. He actually wants to hang out with you over the holidays. Amen. Amen? And more than just during the holidays. We got to believe the vision. We got to believe the vision, church. In verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Wow! You're gonna have, you're gonna, first of all, she says, you're gonna have a son. He's gonna be the greatest king in the history of mankind. His kingdom will never end. Okay, then look what she says. I mean, this is a blowaway thought. Then she goes, well, how's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. It's like, what? She's not, she's, she's more thinking practical. Like, how's that going to happen? And he just told him, you know, you're, you're going to have the son that's going to be the greatest king in the history of the world, the son of God. And she's like, what? what? She's worried about the practical, which I think I would have been too at age, whatever she was, 14. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. You know, that's the new NIV. The translators in 1984 translated it, For nothing is impossible with God. And looking at all the English translations and looking at the actual Greek, you know, there's some, there's some movement in there. You can realize it. It's the idea is no word of God will fail is the same thing as nothing is impossible with God. There's some nuances into the concept of the word will not fail that I think can speak to us powerfully. But I do want us to believe that nothing is impossible with God. Do we today really trust? Do we believe? Today, do you believe? Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. What an inspiration. She still had that childlike heart. She believed she could make the NBA. She's like, if that's how it's going to be, that's how it's, I'm fine. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said, may your word be fulfilled. Today, church, I want us to ask ourselves the question, do we really believe? Do we believe the word of God? And I got two things I want to ask you about today. The first is relationally. Relationships. Do you believe the word of God when it comes to relationships? Husbands and wives in your marriage, do you trust the Word of God? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Do you trust that if you'll do your part? You know, those verses, by the way, husbands and wives, are written to you as a husband and you as a wife. Not to you as a husband to tell your wife, you better respect me. (laughs) It's written to the wife. She's got to hear from God. That's what she's got to hear. But what you got to hear is love your wife. Do you trust? Do you believe that you can do that? To those of us that aren't married, that might want to get married someday, do you trust the Word of God? Do you believe? And I would dare say it's such an easy one to not believe. To take into our own hands... I'll see to it that things work out the way I want. I'm going to cross these lines. The lines that, yeah, I kind of think I probably shouldn't, but, geez, things haven't been working out for me in this area of my life. And I want to appeal to you. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 37 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him. And He will do this with relationships. Women, if you desire a man in shining armor, a knight in shining armor, God wants that for you also. Men, if you want a woman of God, humble, beautiful, spiritual woman that serves Him side by side, He wants that for you as well. I want that for every person that desires that. Though I will put before you, that is not the secret to happiness. It is not. I've seen more pain and suffering through marriage than almost anything else. I don't met many people that have the gift of not getting married, but some do. And you can be really happy if you delight yourself in the Lord. Amen. You can be really happy. But for those that really want that, I believe God wants it more than you do. But will you trust Him? 
The second thing I want you to consider today, before we take communion, is your wealth. Your wealth. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And when I talk wealth, I'm not just talking financial wealth, which many of us have, and relative to the rest of the world, pretty much all of us in this room have, even if you have nothing in your bank account, you actually have some wealth you probably don't or aren't aware of. But your wealth is your talent, is your time, is your resources. And Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and then He will bless you. He will open doors for you. God will give blessings to people that use their resources to His glory. If we do that, Westside. If we use our resources, I'm not just talking wealth, although yes, absolutely. Make a million, make ten million, but you put it at the feet of God. I'm serious. This place is filled with rich people on the west side, but this world is dark. And we can change the world from the west side. The talent is overflowing on the west side. But the talent that we have is not just to get famous. The talent that we have is to change souls so that they will say, Jesus is Lord and bring glory to God with the effort and time and talent they have. Amen? Today, do you believe the vision that God has for your life? Do you believe the vision He has for the people He's put in your life? Sometimes we believe it for others, but we won't believe it for ourselves. Believe today. I hope during the holiday season, yes, if you want to believe in Santa Claus, fine. I, I, you know, I always say it's the spirit of Santa that I believe in. The spirit of giving, right? I believe, I taught my kids, I believe in the spirit of Santa. That is real. It's the spirit of giving. It was so exciting uh, to see yesterday morning, Melissa baptized in the waters uh, by faith, coming up a new creation. So proud of her. God is working powerfully in all our lives. He's going to do more through lots of you in here. We know he's got, he's got plans for lots of people. He's got plans for your family. He's got plans for your classmates. He's got plans for your coworkers. He's got plans for people you meet in the supermarket. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe. Ultimately, the cross teaches us that God believes in us. Not only did God give us the gift of His Son, right? Not only did God give us this incredible hope of a life and show us that life is more than what the world tells it is, but then Jesus gives His own life to say, even when you've messed up, I believe in you. And I need that second chance. I've needed the third chance. And I'm going to need a lot more. God believes in us. Let us believe in Him. Let's go to God in prayer and pray for the elements that remind us today. And we're doing a little different. We're not doing a discussion. So our discussion is when we're done, have some great fellowship. Amen. Normally we do a discussion before we take communion today. We're going to pray together, meditate on what we believe or don't believe, and really dig deep into our hearts. And remember, Jesus gave his life. He shed his blood to give us a second chance. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being here today to worship you. And uh, we remember Jesus, uh, the gift of his life, his birth, the inspiration that tells us we can believe the vision 
uh, that you're going to do incredible things in our lives. Thank you for his body given over. Lord, thank you for his blood shed. Lord, thank you for that, that we believe. We understand you believe in us. You have hopes and dreams for us. And, Father, we give you our life, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.